Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you, Josh, and our whole worship team, man. Fantastic job. That's about as exciting as a, of a Christmas service as you can get, isn't it, man? That is awesome. The great, great songs, great worship today. Genesis chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, Genesis 2. And if you don't, it'll be on the screen, so don't worry about it. Genesis chapter 2, if you have your Bibles. I'm doing something different today, and so I want you to hang with me. I'm going to have a lot of explanation throughout all this. By the way, I know some of you really want me to talk about a certain something that happened yesterday in Atlanta. And I just want to remind you about my rule. This is the Lord's Day, and we only talk about the Lord on the Lord's Day. So, uh, Genesis chapter 2. So, um, I'm not, next week I'm going to start a Christmas series that'll go for a couple of weeks called Christmas, M-E-S-S, and that'll... I'll explain it then. Today I'm going to do something really different. I really am kind of interrupting my preaching flow this morning to cast a little vision and, and direction for our church. I never do this this time of year, but it's really going to hit heavy in January. And so I, I kind of wanted to just lay it out there before January to have it on our hearts and minds between now and then. And so today's not really a sermon. If you're a first time to our church, Today's not really a sermon, it's more of a talk, it's more of a vision explanation of something God has laid on my heart, because my, my heart has really been burdened about something for a good while, uh, years, I would say, and, and really in the last little bit, it's when God's begin to kind of fine tune, it's kind of like dialing in a radio station, if you remember how we used to do that with a dial, just get it dialed in right, God's been doing that in my own heart and life lately. And what's really been burdening me, burdening, burdening me is our marriage and family in Peavine City, marriage and family in Peavine City. So I want to talk today uh, something, and I'm not good with titles, I'm not good with any of that, I'm just going to call it the family initiative, but just hang with me. And if you want to take notes, you can take notes, but honestly, I'd rather you just listen to me this morning. Um, What's been the burden of my heart is this, every time a family falls apart, every time a marriage fails, lives are delayed, lives are destroyed, lives are discouraged, lives are derailed. And the church is supposed to be the answer to that, right? The church is where families are supposed to go to find help because marriage and family are God's idea and institution. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, stand with me, if you will, as we read God's word. In the Bible, marriage and family is the first institution God put together. So it'll be on the screen, Genesis chapter 2, look at verse 15. Let me just read these verses where God started the family. Then the Lord God took the man... And placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. And the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper corresponding to him. And the Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. Whatever the man called a living creature, that was his name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the sky and every wild animal. But for the man... No helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man. He put him to sleep and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. And the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man uh, into a woman 
embroidered to the man. Every time I read that passage, I'm reminded of a little boy that went to Sunday school and he learned about this passage in Sunday school. He was just a small kid. And on the way home, he got a pain in his side. He said, mama, mama, my side is hurting. I think I'm having a wife. Adam's side was hurting. He thought he was having a wife here in Genesis chapter 2. And sure enough, he did. Verse 23. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman for she was taken from the man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked yet felt no shame. Thank you. You may be seated. And so we see in the very beginning, God created the institution of marriage. God created the institution of family. It's the very first institution he created. And listen, by the way, this is parenthetical. We have no right to redefine God's definition of marriage and family because it's not our right to redefine it. It's God's. And so when we take God's definition of family, thank you, God's definition of family then we understand it's his institution, and here's what that means. That if it's God's institution, he's the one responsible for giving us how to carry out that institution. So let me make a general statement here, and I'm going to expound on it a little bit more. The church is the place you should go to for help for marriage and family. Why? Because when you follow biblical principles, your marriage and family should work according to those biblical principles. Now, parenthetically, let me stop and say something right here. There are two things we can find, or really three things we can find in the Bible. There are promises, there are principles, and there are Proverbs. Proverbs is my favorite book in the Bible. And a promise in the Bible is something that God promises, but he's always the one that has to perform the promise, right? The promise is not dependent upon you or me or uh, somebody else. God's, it's a promise by God that comes to us. Principles are the way we live our lives, and Proverbs are very akin to a principle. So when we turn to the book of Proverbs... We confuse Proverbs sometimes with the book of promises, and it's not a book of promises. As a matter of fact, there are Proverbs that would seemingly contradict each other, but they don't because you have to take them in their context. For example, there's one proverb that says this, don't answer a fool according to his folly. But the very next verse says, answer a fool according to his folly. Well, how can one verse say one thing and another verse say the other? Because it's not a promise, it's a, it's a proverb. And here's what Proverbs is trying to tell you. Know what kind of fool you're dealing with when you're dealing with a fool, Right? Some you can talk to, some you can't. you got to know the difference. But sometimes we take a proverb and we claim it as a promise. And now I said all that to get to here. We take a proverb like this. Train up a child in the way he should go when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And we turn that into a promise. That's not a promise. That's a proverb. A proverb means that if you follow this proverb, if you follow this principle then the majority of time, this is what will happen. So here's what that proverb means. Train up a child in the way he should go, and his old will not depart from it. If you raise your family, if you raise your children, according to biblical principles, more often times than not, they will always find their way back to the biblical principles, even if they stray for a little while. And by the way, straying is not necessary, but even if they stray for a little while, they, uh, they, they, they will find their way back. Now, that's not a promise. We've all seen families that did the best they could, raise their family according to biblical principles, raise their family into church, and the minute that kid 18, turned 18, he stepped right into stupid. Right? Maybe you, right? So you can't control that. 
You, you can't control it. Your, your wife, you can't control her. She's going to do what she's going to do. Your husband, you can't control him. He's going to do what he's going to do. Your kids, you can control them for a minute, but, but they get 18, they figure out. Now, about two, they think they figured it out. But about 18, they figure out that, hey, I can do what I want to do, and, 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 and so I'm going to do that. And so you can't, you can't stop that. So, so I, want, I want to be careful here, and I want you to hear what I'm saying. Those are Proverbs. And here's what we know, that if you follow biblical principles— Get this, this is so good. The percentages are on your side. That's really what it means. If you follow biblical principles, the percentages are on your side. God does not make people do certain things. You cannot make people do certain things. But if you want the, if you want the percentages on your side, then follow biblical principles for your marriage and the percentages will be on your side. Follow biblical principles for your family and percentages will be on your side. And so the church is the place where families should go for help. The church is the place where marriage should go for help. Why? Because we teach and adhere to those biblical principles that puts the percentage on your side. But as a whole, as a church, we're not doing a great job of that. Now, I, I want to say this. I'm, gonna, I'm about to show you a ton of statistics about divorce that I'm trying to tell a story, all right? So hang with me. If you're here today and you've been divorced, hear me. I am, nobody's mad at you. There's no shame. There's no guilt. Please hear me. That's not my heart. You, you, if you know me, you know that. Like, that's not my deal. But I, I want to say, I'm not talking about what's happened in your past. Let's talk about from this day forward, okay? What happened in your past don't even need to hear about it. Let, let's talk about from this day forward. Because the marriage you're in right now is the marriage I'm, the marriage I'm worried about, not, not last marriage. And, and the marriage you're in now is the one we want to apply the biblical principles to. So no, I love you. I'm not mad at you. Not even think less. Nothing, nothing, man. We're all in this together. By the grace of God, uh, my wife has hung with me for all these years. And so like, I, I get it. I, I understand. Let's talk about from where we are. To where we want to go, all right? And I'm just trying to paint a picture here, tell a story. Let me, let me use some stats to tell a story. The rate of divorce, and th these are government statistics, by the way. They, these didn't come from a Christian. The rate of divorce increases in relation to how many times you marry. This means the more you marry, the more likely you are divorced. So this is why this is important to you. You say, well, preacher, I've already, I've already been divorced. Where am I? Well, hey, let's work where you are right now. Because the, the, as, as it is, the percentages are not on your side. Because here's, here's what we think. We always think if I could get a new partner, things would get better. But can I tell you, research shows that that's not true. Getting a new partner doesn't make things better. Why? Because you, you leave one marriage and you got a bunch of baggage. And you take it to another marriage and then he leaves one marriage and he's got a bunch of baggage. And he brings it to this marriage and now y'all both bringing double baggage baggage to the marriage and it creates more issues and so research tells us the more times you marry the more likely you are divorced so you're always better off hanging making the marriage you have work than trying to start over because you're not good at starting over we're not good at starting over you say preacher I'll make a better decision the next time <laughs> no you won't no you won't let me show you the second thing Gray divorce has risen dramatically over 30 years. And it took me a minute. I, what is gray divorce? It's a term they use. I, look, can I give you a better, almost a better term for it? They call it gray divorce, but let me call it this. Grandparent divorce has risen. Did you know this? I cannot even fathom this. That since 1990, the divorce rate among people 50 and over has doubled. 50 and older, doubled. But 
Let me stagger you a little bit more. Since 1990, the divorce rate among people 65 and older has tripled. 65 and older. Listen, 65 and older. I just feel like if I make it to 65, she is stuck with me. It's not worth the effort to get divorced at that age. I'll be honest, she's not going to divorce me at 66. She's just going to wait on a heart attack at that point. Right? She's waiting on a heart attack. If, look, if I see extra butter on my plate when I'm 65, I know what's going down. She's trying to give me a heart attack. I got it. You don't need antifreeze or rat poison, just butter, and I'm done for. I'm done for. I get it. 65 and over three times. So here's what that tells me. Time in marriage does not equal happiness in marriage. Third, third thing we, we learn is this. That people are 75% more likely to end their marriage if a friend is divorced. It's even more staggering than that. You're 33% more likely to get divorced if a friend of a friend is getting divorced. I don't even understand that. As somebody you don't know, if a friend of a friend is getting divorced, you're 33% more likely to experience a divorce. So here's what we know. A bad marriage, a bad family is contagious. Be careful who you hang around. So now we have a younger generation who just says this. They say... Um, uh, well, uh, we just won't get married. We'll just live together and won't get married. And by the way, living together before marriage is always wrong in God's eyes. There's, you're never supposed to do it. You're never supposed to live together without the benefit of getting married. We have a younger generation that says, let's not get married. Let's just live together. Well, that has problems with it too because cohabiting can impact your risk of divorce. Government statistics, couples who do not cohabit before getting married are less likely to obtain a divorce within the first 20 years of their union. Which means this, when you live together, before marriage, you're more likely to get divorced than people who don't live together before marriage. And this younger generation thinks, well, this is the answer to it, and it's not the answer to it. Now, this next thing I want to show you is where I saw and my heart grieved, and I feel like we as a church have got to step into this space, and we've got to occupy this space, and we've got to give an answer. Do you know what the number one reason for divorce in America is? This blows my mind. Basic incompatibility. You say, I thought it was money issues. It's on the list, but this is more than double. I thought it was infidelity. It's on the list, but this is more than double. You, you know what that means? That means that the reason the majority of people are getting divorced is they just cannot get, literally can't get along. Literally just can't get along. And listen, this Bible, if it's anything, it's a relationship book. This Bible deals with two relationships. It tells us how to relate to God and how we relate to one another. And that how we relate to God and how we relate to another always applies to our marriage. And we ought to be able to get along in our marriage. And I feel like as a, as a church, this is the space we have to step into and say, no, that's not a reason. We can help you get along. But let, let me keep painting a picture. You remember back in the day when, um, we, I want you to finish this thought for me. Back in the day, used to have people say this. It's not a good thing to say, but just say it. They'd say this. They would say, um, uh, well, we don't really love each other, but we're staying together because of the Some wisdom in that because the Bible says, I mean, the Bible, the government tells us this, stats tell us this, children of divorce are more likely to become a divorcee. You say, preacher, we shouldn't stay together just because of the kids. Well, I, I may beg to differ because here's what we know, that when your family falls apart, 
you could be setting up a generational issue that will go generations and generations and generations beyond you. It wasn't such bad wisdom. And I'm, I'm almost done. Hold on. Finally, I want you to see this. A couple going through their first divorce is age 30 on average. Now, I say that and I got a little grin on my face. I don't mean to be grinning about it, but, he, but he, here's, here's why I'm saying that. At age 30, can I tell all y'all 30-year-olds something that you won't get offended at me at? Ain't none of us getting along when we were 30 years old. We were all fighting with each other. You know why you're fighting with each other when you're 30 years old? Because, man, you don't have any money and your kids are, are keeping you up all night and you're having to eat McDonald's and doing it one at a time and the kids are sick and you're going to the doctor and you got one going through the terrible twos and, and, and he's sitting on the couch and then you got a kid going through the terrible twos as well and it's just a mess. It's a mess. It's a mess, and you've got two oftentimes strong-willed people who, who, you know, maybe left mom's house, and they were used to being catered to a certain way, and now ain't nobody catering to them that way, and, or maybe you were living on your own, and you'd kind of become independent. Now these two people are trying to learn how to become one, and I'll be honest, it's just a little bit of a knockdown drag out, and you say, well, preacher, I, this is not what I had in mind when I got married. I know, I know, none of us did, none of us did. I mean, there's a period in there we'd all wish we'd go back and not do. And we want to help you get through this age in life because, man, this is discouraging. At what point do most divorces occur in the marriage? Registered divorces by duration of marriage. You'll see blue is 1990, red is 2020. Most people are divorced before their fourth year in marriage, or get this, unbelievable, after their 20th year in marriage. Before their fourth year. So what's the problem right here? Little kids, no rest, no money, no fun, fall apart. What's the problem right here? You're what we call an empty nester. And you made this mistake of putting all your eggs in the basket of your kids and they get out of the house and then um, you don't even like each other when you get there. And it's true, stranger. By the way, it's always wrong to put all your eggs in the basket of your kids. They are going to leave you one day. Right? Keep your eggs in your marriage. And the the average duration of a marriage is 10 years and falling. 10 years and falling. Well, not, that's in America. Bear with me for, I mean, I'm going to show you a couple more graphs. Let's talk about here. All right, let's talk about Walker and Catoosa County. Right, that's not all of Peavine City, but it was enough to paint the picture this morning. If you look in Walker County, we called the courthouse and found out that in two, and we, we could have showed you more years, the same was true, uh, but 2019 in Walker County, where our church resides, there were 362 divorces and 329 marriages. That means in 2019 in Walker County, our own county, there were more divorces than marriages. In 2020, there were 316 divorces, 276 marriages. That means there were more families that fell apart than there were families that came together that blew my mind. So let's talk about Caduce County, where I live, right? Let's talk about Ringgold. Well, Ringgold is a problem because some of you new to this area, you don't know. People come from all over to get married in Ringgold. I mean, all over. 
to get married in Ringo. As a matter of fact, we called uh, Judge Hollander and he, we found out like Dolly Parton married Carl Dean in 1969 in downtown Ringo, Georgia. Tammy Wynette got married twice in Ringgold. Ricky Townsend of the New York Giants. If you're 15, you're not going to know these names. But Bob Harvey of Jefferson Airplane and Don Everly of the Everly Brothers got married in Ringo, Georgia. Ringo, Georgia. And people come from all over. Matter of fact, we have a copy. He sent us a copy of Tammy Wynette's uh, marriage license to George Jones. By the way, her real name is Virginia W. Bird. And so he, she, they're, they're 1969. And then here's Dolly Parton's uh, to uh, Carl Dean, married in May 1966. There's uh, their thing. Now, so look at Katusa, 2019, 379 divorces, but nearly 1,300 marriages. But it doesn't really count. In 2020, 356 divorces and 1,090 marriages. So here, the divorce statistics are about the same as Walker, even a little bit higher than Walker. And the reason I show you that is to tell you that it's not great anywhere in our area. Families are falling apart, not just in America, but our own backyard. Nobody wants that. This church doesn't want that. You don't want that. Nobody wants that. And so God has placed it on my heart for us to do something about it, to tackle a real world number. As a matter of fact, once a year, I take our pastors and directors away for three or four days, and we spend 12 hours a day locked up talking about next year looking at vision and mission. How have we done the previous year and what are we going to do next year and what's God laid on our heart? And I brought this to them this year and I said, here's what God's really laid on my heart and I want us to think through it and pray about it and ask them a couple of questions. Questions, can we make a difference in that number of families that are falling apart and can we stop the acceleration, even decrease the number of divorces in our own area? Can we really as a church leverage all of our resources and affect that area? And if you don't know about our church, let me tell you something about our church. We don't do everything under the sun we don't have a ton going on we're not going to keep you busy Monday night Tuesday night we're not doing all that we we want to be very simple and laser focused on the vision and mission God has given us which is this this will always be our mission reaching every person in Peavine City with the gospel of Jesus Christ there are 497,000 people in a 20 mile radius of where you sit today and we want to reach every one of them in Peavine City with the gospel see them saved and we'd like to reach one percent to begin with 4,900 and 70 people. This is and always will be our mission. But my question became, will this negatively affect this or will it enhance it? As we begin to talk and pray through it, I felt like it would enhance it. Let me give you four ways I think this can enhance our vision. Number one is this, your family should draw others to Jesus. Your family. Now, if you read the Bible right, Ephesians chapter 5, your family, your marriage, your parenting, all of that, Ephesians 5 and 6, your marriage is a picture of the Christ church relationship. Here's what that means. That your marriage, your family ought to be the model of love. Your family, hear these words, ought to be the model of peace. Your family ought to be the model of forgiveness and joy and kindness and compassion and harmony and sacrifice. Your marriage ought to draw others to Jesus. And when a lost and dying world sees your family and your and then they look at the mess of the situation they're in, they ought to want what you have. They ought to they ought to cannot help but want what you have. And when somebody says to you, what is going on in your family? How does it operate so well? Why are your kids well behaved? Why why is your your kid why are your kids turn out so good? Why is your marriage so happy? 
you ought to be able to say one reason. We try to follow. We all know Jesus and we try to follow what's in this book. And I can give you what we have if you want what we have. But when your family is no better than theirs, they don't want anything you have. And the better your family is, the more people your family ought to draw to Jesus. Number two, the noise of family issues drowns out the gospel. If you got into a WWF smackdown on the way to church this morning, you haven't heard a word I said till I said WWF right there. You didn't hear anything I said. Because that, that argument you're in, that, dis, that, that discussion you're in on the way, uh, it's got you consumed. And you'll go home consumed about it. And when, you're, when your uh, family isn't right, you're just not functioning wells, well. And when you're, when you're having those issues, you cannot hear anything else but the family issues. And so here's what we want to do. We want to step alongside families who do not know Jesus as their Savior. And we want to help to quiet, which part of that would be them coming to know Jesus as their Savior. We want to help to quiet that noise of family issues in their life so they can hear the gospel. And this is the way Jesus operated all throughout the scriptures. But we see it in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. Why did Jesus heal every disease and every sickness? Every one of them. Here's why. Because he knew it was hard for a lame man to hear the gospel. It was going to be hard for a sick man to hear the gospel. It was going to be hard for a starving man and a dying man to hear the gospel. And so Jesus met these needs so they can hear the message that he had. You don't have to do that, but it helps. Because the noise of family issues drowns out the gospel. And if we can help our community with that, they might hear the gospel. Number three, I think it'll enhance our vision because your marital misery is a kingdom killer. And see, the enemy knows that he cannot take your salvation. You are not saved of your own power. You are not kept by your own power. Peter tells us you are kept by the power of God. He cannot take your salvation. He knows he's not going to get anybody in this room in all probability to fall into some kind of gross sin. He's not going to get you to walk away from the church and do something wrong. So if he can't do any of that, hear me, his mission is still, is always still kill and destroy. He's got to be still killing and destroy something. So here's what the devil says. Can't take away their salvation. Not going to get them out of church. I'm not going to get them to fall into some deep sin. Here's what I'll do. I'll just create misery at home. And if he can get your family in a fight, if he can get your marriage in a mess, he can get your finances in a fall, he can all but stop any effectiveness you have for the kingdom. I may testify that in my own life, right? My wife and I are in a fight. I can't preach. I literally can't preach. She knows that if we're in an argument, if she just hangs on to Saturday night, I'm apologizing no matter what. All she got to do is hang on. Yeah, he's coming around. Watch this. He's coming around. That's true for me. It's true for you, too. Your marital misery is a kingdom killer. Number four, let, let me say this. A healthy family equals a happy life. And we want to help people in their families because if we can help them in their families, we can help them follow these biblical principles. They can have joy in their homes. Close your Bibles. Let me just finish up. I'm, I'm almost finished. I, I really am. I, I, I just want to share a few things. I'm, I'm just really, I'm meddling now. I'm not preaching. Just let me meddle for a minute. If I've always lived by this philosophy, if I couldn't, 
If I didn't have a happy home, I would not have a healthy ministry. But more than that, if I couldn't lead at home, I didn't deserve to lead anywhere else. My wife's not going to follow me, then why would anybody else follow me? My wife married me, and when she did, she entrusted her care, well-being, and happiness to me. I owe it to her to deliver on that. My children were born into my home, and their care, well-being, and happiness became my responsibility, and I owe it to them to deliver on that. But I knew a happy home, a happy, a healthy home would equal a happy life. Like I knew that if the home was right, it was going to make other things right. My wife and I continually have people ask us, how is your marriage? Like, what is going on? How can we do all that? And I'll be honest, if you don't know my family, I, I threw some pictures up here of them. And, and listen, hang with me, hang with me. Don't be careful. Don't make any judgments about what I'm about to say. Give me two minutes. I have a a lovely, beautiful wife, and if y'all know her, if you know her, if you not, you need to get to meet her. There's absolutely nothing special about me. She is the uh, uh, sauce that makes this thing work. I'm married over my head, or as we like to say in football language, I outpunted my coverage with her. And uh, if you've met me, honestly, you're like, eh. If you've met her, you're like, oh, I get it. But here's what everybody does. Everybody sees us together, and I know what you do. You get in the car, and you're like, I don't get it. Why is she with him? I just do not get that. Do y'all get that? I get it. I'm the same way. I lay in bed at night and go, I don't get it. I don't know how it happened. Look, I've got, I've got a great family. I'm not going to show you all this. I've got, I do have, I do want to stop here. I do have the three greatest grandsons in the world, and I just did want to throw those pictures up there. But we always have people ask us. Now, hear me, hear me. Here's what I want to be careful because I've actually ran this next part by several people. I want to make sure it comes out well. I want you to hear my heart. In fact, people say, well, How's that happening? Hear me. I'll give you three reasons that I have a beautiful family and a happy, healthy home life. Here's why. There is an enormous amount of the grace and miracle of God wrapped up in that. I refuse to create, take credit for even my wife and I coming together and meeting. I was her bag boy at a grocery store and, and her mom, I was singing, I was singing one day and her mom, which was should have driven anybody away from me but her mom noticed my joy on a Friday night she was her mom was there by herself her mom caught me over in the uh, short story the the cold section and 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 came and interviewed me literally interviewed me for about 30 minutes and said I'm gonna bring my daughter back next week and I'm like she said she's real pretty and I'm like yeah I know mama's yeah I'm sure But I I waited expectantly on her and I saw her and literally two weeks later I was 17 years old two weeks later I told her I was gonna marry her She's going to be my wife one day. That is absolutely a miracle of God how we came together. Like that's not like, oh, a friend set us up. That's a great story, but ours is just a miracle of God. It's the grace of God that we are together. I get that. I have good kids, and that's the grace of God wrapped up in that. But let me tell you the second thing that I think. Not only is just the humble grace of God on my, my part. I'm so humbled by it. My wife and I have always said we're going to do our best to follow biblical principles for our family now if you came to our home we're, we got books all over the place my wife uses them in decorations we got them in the basement my wife has dozens and dozens and dozens of books on marriage and family that she started buying when we were first married dozens of books on parenting we've always said 
we're going to do to the best of our ability to lead our family according to biblical principles, that operate our family according to biblical principles. Like we as a husband and wife, we do our best to set aside our own preferences, our own desires, that we want, we want to do what's good for the good of the marriage. And so we both try to surrender rights to the other. For the sake of our marriage. Because I, I read this proverb early on. Proverbs 3.33 says this. The Lord's curse is on the household of the wicked. But he blesses the home of the righteous. So before I had kids even. I knew that verse. And here's what it said. That the Lord's curse is on those who don't follow biblical principles. But his favor is on those who try to follow biblical principles. And so I said. Listen it may not always feel right. It may not always be right. But I'm going to do my best to find out. To be the kind of husband this Bible says I ought to be. And I'm going to do it. And be the kind of dad this Bible says I ought to be. And I'm going to do it because I wanted the favor of God on my home. We're not perfect. Lord have mercy, we're not perfect. But we're just trying our best. And then number three, for decades, I've prayed and begged God for his favor to be on my family. Pray, do it every day now. And I say stuff like this, Lord, I'm stupid. Man, God, I'm stupid. I do stupid stuff as a husband. I do stupid stuff as a parent. I, I just do dumb stuff sometimes, God. I say dumb stuff. Stuff comes out of my mouth. I, I, I don't want it to come out, Lord. Here's what I need, God. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I, I need you to cover up some of the mistakes I made. Let my wife forget that dumb thing I said day before yesterday. My kids, and I beg for God's, beg for God's favor on my family. Beg for it. But here's what I think. I think if you'll ask for the grace of God, that if you'll follow biblical principles and you'll beg for his favor on your family, I'm not telling you if things are going to come out perfect, but can I tell you this? The percentages are going to be in your favor. So here's what we want to do with the family initiative. We want to decrease the number of divorces in our area. We want to help increase family happiness by following biblical principles, and we want to bring more people to Jesus through a family ministry. How are we going to do that? Here's what we're going to do. We want to offer family counseling. Did you know I could do that full time all week long that we have so many people calling needing family counseling? We want to provide that. We want to do marriage retreats and seminars. We're going to tackle the subjects that cause the most family drama. For example, we know what causes the most family drama. And even starting next January, we're in our, in our Wednesday night classes, we're going to start offering subjects that, that help with the most family drama. We're going to try to help you quiet that in your life. And then we want to offer a next level events for families because we don't want you to just have a good family. We want you to have a great godly family. But it's not over. We didn't budget for this. We, we didn't put it. We don't, we don't plan on it. We're, here's what. We feel like God has given us the vision and you'll determine how fast we move forward. Here's what we want to do. We want to raise $150,000 a year for a five-year period. With that, we want to provide a full-time counselor and pastor at the church and provide resources and events of all that stuff. So, for example, our children's ministry is already working on resources and events to help you parent better. Our student ministry is already working on resources and events next year to help you parent better. We're already getting that ball 
in motion. And we want to have a full-time counselor, which by the way, we're trying to partner with some Christian counseling agencies right now and bring people here during the week full-time. They don't even have people. They're sometimes backlogged two and three months at a time and not even, uh, not even receiving new clients. So we're not sure. Like, I, I can't put a time frame on it, but I know we can't do it until we raise that. I know we can't do it until we raise that. I told you I'm not creative. We're just calling it the family initiative. Five-year focus to make a difference in Peavine City, in your family, I hope, my family, but in families who desperately need Jesus all around us. Would you stand with me? So here's what we're asking. Here's what we're asking. I'm going to ask you, if God so lays it on your heart, would you give towards this cause? If you go to peavine.org slash give and you click on the drop down box, you can give to the general offering. You can give to 1%. And as of this morning uh, or two days ago, you can give to the family initiative. It's on there. My wife and I made the first donation this past Thursday to the family initiative. And we're just going to ask you and trust you to give. And you will determine the pace of this vision as we go forward. You're going to hear a lot about it in January. We just wanted to get it out there. I did in December before we move into Christmas time. Would you help us? We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.